0: This is Junko Yoshida, EE Times Chief International Correspondent. You're listening to EE Times on Air.
1: This is your EE Times Weekly Briefing. Today is Friday, May 10th. And among the top stories this week, Google I.O., Google's Developers Conference. CEO Sundar Pichai touted Google's awakening to privacy for its users' data. This week, E.E. Times launched a new special project package on artificial intelligence with a particular focus on AI fairness. We ask and answer the question, will machines ever learn to be fair? Later on, we're joined by Junko Yoshida, E.E. Times Chief International Correspondent, and E.E. Times Executive Editor Dylan McGrath. The two editors moderated panels at VerveCon in Sunny Santa Clara they share their observations at this unusual tech conference where the main auditorium was filled, not by male, but female engineers. All that to come, but first, here's Rick Merritt, E.E. Times Silicon Valley Bureau Chief. Rick, who attended Google I.O., met up with Dylan McGrath afterward. Here are our two editors discussing the highlights of this year's Google Developers Conference.
2: Rick, I understand you attended Google I.O. today, and can you give us a Kind of a uh, high-level view of what you saw, what you heard,
3: how it went. Yeah, at the highest level, the script that Google CEO Sundar Pinchai, uh had about AI everywhere and his high concern for privacy could have been the same script that uh, Mark Zuckerberg used last week uh, at the Facebook developer conference Uh, they're both really concerned about the increasing government scrutiny about how they're selling and sharing and what they're doing with uh, people's personal data particularly as they're mining more and more of it with AI so uh, the focus was you know we're good players here we're really concerned about your privacy and there was almost more concern about these social issues than there was about commercial stuff those Mm -hmm. some news did get announced And what was some of that news? So uh, Google came out with some sort of middle market uh, Pixel smartphones and a new home display to enhance their their smart home story. Uh, But really, the underlying thread to all of it was that they're doing more and more AI everywhere, and they're trying to do more of it um, on device so that you don't have to go to the cloud. And that supports their privacy story. I think the interesting thing there, though, is you can see where they're wanting to get some commercial advantages. So Google did demo some uh, work on voice interfaces that are getting better and better on the smartphone. So they showed somebody being able to walk through uh, multiple applications and do a mixture of commands and dictation. And uh, their assistant understood what they you know were doing in the CAN demos and did a pretty good job of it. So their comment was later this year, the software is going to roll out for their Pixel phones and the voice interface will be faster than using a touchscreen display. Mm-hmm. That's a significant advantage for them.
2: Absolutely. Well, I guess the similarities between that and the Facebook event really show where Silicon Valley's head is these days with regard to these privacy issues. You wonder if it's just... Uh, Lip service and uh, if they're serious about this or if they're just trying to stay out of trouble or off the uh, the government's radar.
3: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of lip service there and some big fines coming up, but, uh, you know, we'll see. Okay. All right, Rick. Well, thank you very much. Good talking to
2: you, Dylan. Good talking with you.
1: And now Junko Yoshida explains why E.E. Times has gone after the loaded issue of fairness in AI. This ambitious special project, shepherded by EE e. Times senior contributing editor Ann Thrift, digs deep into the challenges of AI. Predictably, Ann found out that most marketers of AI systems or so called AI solutions prefer not to talk about fairness. However, AI researchers were much more candid.
0: This year, Rick Merritt, EE e. Times Silicon Valley bureau chief, put together a stellar special project. It's still early days for AI. We covered a wide range of AI issues from deep learning models and neural networks to AI chips for both learning and inference. We follow AI aggressively because we know big changes in AI will impact next-generation computer architecture. Our job at EE Times is to be there when the impact hits, so we can explain what happened and what comes next. This week, we launched a new special project on AI, shepherded by EE Times senior contributing editor and Thrift. This time around, our focus is on the fairness of AI. Unlike the topic like AI performance, which is typically explained and measured in teraflops, gigahertz, and watts, we decided to pursue this more elusive concept of fairness. Why, you may ask, because in the pursuit of automation, humans are beginning to cede to machines whole realms of decision-making for tasks like hiring, credit scoring, or customer services, and even driving. When we take people out of the loop, we assure ourselves machines are more efficient. They do the job faster, cheaper, and more accurately without the blunders, bias, and fatigue that afflict mere Moros. Or do they? In recent years, AI researchers have realized AI is not so accurate as it's cracked up to be. As Anne Thrift, born skeptical, points out, most of the fairness of an AI decision-making depends on the accuracy and completeness of the test datasets used for training algorithms. This is an elegant way to say garbage in, garbage out. A machine's decision also depends on the accuracy of its algorithm itself and how it understands success. An optimization strategy by training algorithms can actually amplify bias sometimes. The black box nature of such algorithms is also worrisome, making it almost impossible for humans to explain how machines reach certain conclusions. The engineering community has made remarkable progress with AI. We all applaud it. But we pause the clapping when we hear the AI developers say, AI works most of the time. Most of the time isn't good enough. People will expect the machines to decide soundly, safely, accurately, and fairly. People hold other people accountable. They expect no less from AI. In engineering, we often say security by design. We recognize it's high time for an engineering community committed to AI development to start thinking about fairness by design. Our AI Fairness Special Project includes real-world cases of bad AI behavior coupled with discussion of an emerging framework and potential standards that define AI fairness. We ask and answer whether AI fairness can be regulated. We also explore tools, although not many yet, under development designed to de-biasing or auditing algorithms and data sets. Author on Thrift poses five big questions about fairness of AI to researchers from MIT, Stanford, and IBM. The bottom line is simple. We can't just assume AI will be any fairer and more accurate than its human parents. We need designers of AI software and hardware to start thinking about fairness before they embark on their next AI project. You can't add fairness to your system as an afterthought. This is Junko Yoshida, E-Times.
1: Sally Ward Foxton, EE Times European correspondent, who also contributed to our special project on AI fairness, explains now more specifically how financial institutions are increasingly using AI, particularly machine learning, to make decisions on credit scores, credit risks and lending, and where bias creeps into the process. Here's Sally with more.
4: Financial institutions have embraced AI and machine learning technology to determine consumers' credit scores and decide on their loan applications because the technology can consider large amounts of data and make quick and accurate decisions. The trouble is, even though there are no people involved in making the decision, studies have shown that these systems can still exhibit unintentional bias against minority groups. This is despite the law in the US that makes this type of discrimination illegal. When we're talking about consumer credit scores and loan decisions, there's obviously a lot at stake. When you're deciding who gets a loan, you might be deciding whether that person can own their home, whether that person goes to college, or whether that person can cover their medical expenses. If the decision-making process is biased against any group of people, there are big implications for society as a whole. So how can banks check for bias in their model, and how do they fix them? These systems consider thousands of variables from each applicant and use techniques like neural networks to model complicated interactions between the variables. As these techniques develop and evolve, the complexity of these models will only increase. In other words, it can be pretty difficult to tell where that bias is coming from, and it's only going to get harder. I spoke to AI model fairness expert Jay Budzik. His company Zest Finance uses mathematical game theory to analyze Banks' models. They can determine which variables are driving the bias, and then they can tune the model to make a better trade-off between accuracy and fairness. So there are ways of making AI fairer. The real question is, will banks choose to use them? These models are highly optimised for accuracy to make the banks the most profit, which implies that changing the model in any way might mean they don't make as much money. So fairness, despite the law, may well be a difficult sell. This is Sally Ward Foxton reporting from London for Times.
1: At VerveCon, a conference devoted to women in tech, Junko and Dylan worked together as moderators of a keynote session and a roundtable. Their panelists were, in every sense of the word, the best and the brightest in the tech industry today, including distinguished engineers and engineering directors from companies such as Google, Microsoft, Oracle, LinkedIn, and Intuit. Here are Junko and Dylan after the conference.
0: This is a rare occasion. I happen to be here in Silicon Valley, and I'm with Dylan McGrath, executive editor of e-Times. And we just came back from the conference called VerveCon, which is Women in Tech Conference. This is the second year of that conference, and we had about 800 people, I think. Give or take. Yeah. What was your impression, considering that the 800 people who are there, probably 99% of the attend- at, at, at you know, the, those people who came were well, all the women.
2: Well, it was quite a, uh, a difference for most of the conferences, most of the engineering conferences I attend. In fact, I had the, uh, a conversation with someone in line, and basically there were only a handful of men there, and she made the point that this is how she typically feels when she goes to a conference, and it really was quite the reverse. Uh, it was... I've never been to a conference like that, so it was eye-opening.
0: Yeah, and this is a conference, actually, um, I think it serves two purposes. One is uh, more of a career development conference, Mm. but also uh, the founder, Suda, is the founder of this conference. She believes in continuous education. That means that there are a lot of technical sessions Mm. uh, to develop your career, so everything from... AI to blockchain to natural language processing. There are a lot of tech um, seminars too, right? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. That was one of the things that surprised me the most was that it, the content at the conference was not just for women. Uh, exactly. You know, it, it wasn't all built around uh, being a woman in technology. A lot of it was just straight technology, and yeah. you know, in that sense, other than uh, the kind of demographic of the attendance, which was mostly women, you know, it wasn't that much different than these other conferences
0: exactly but another thing that was interesting to me was uh dill and i moderated two panels and the uh, both panels are excellent but um i felt like we were able to see a little bit behind the curtain of top technology companies in silicon valley what's going on in the working environment how they actually grow people within the company you know for example like google right
2: yeah yeah uh Fascinating to see. I mean, they obviously have their own distinct culture, and I also found uh, one of the we talked about this afterwards. One of the most uh, interesting things that was was discussed was how being at a company like that, you know, you're just surrounded by the best and the brightest of people who have excelled throughout their uh, college and early career and have always been the smartest person in the room, and now. This they, is the first time they find that they're not, and uh, that's something I really never thought about before. Yeah, they are was... all
0: kind of homogeneous, right? right? They went to the top schools, right. and they they, they 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 probably didn't, you know, haven't had any experience of big failures or anything. So they come to Google, and this is the first time they realize they they're just the middle of the pack.
2: Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was so um, that was that was uh, quite eye opening, and
0: yeah. You so know. how you differentiate yourself right. was uh, the, uh, one of the big conversations. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And the answer was given, uh, you know, it's resiliency that, that makes a, uh, a leader someone that is, uh, you know, not that they're afraid to fail, but someone who will fail and will continually get up and try again.
0: Right. And also, I think the emphasis was that in order to be a leader, you really need to find your allies, Right. Mm -hmm. And um, whether you are carrier hopping within the company, um, you always need to find your um, allies, your mentors. And then if you're lucky, you get what they call sponsors, Mm -hmm. meaning that somebody who can vouch for you, who can talk up. And it's not a formal relationship, but it seems like the culture is there to uh, help each other.
2: Yeah. And I think that was another one of the really eye opening parts about the conference again it did focus a lot on career development and uh the importance of having a good mentor a good sponsor someone to serve as a sounding board and help uh guide your career help you guide your own career right that's a very interesting concept
0: all right well thank you very much it was good to see you good to see (laughs) you too all right thanks talk to you soon
1: that was Junko Yoshida talking with Dylan McGrath reporting from Santa Clara, California. And this has been your weekly briefing from EE e. Times. You can read all these stories and more at eetimes.com. Thanks for listening.